You're listening to. You're listening to. You're listening to. You're listening to. The Life Tree Community Church Podcast. Life Tree, how are you? Praise God. It's such an honor to be here, Pastor. Thank you again. I appreciate the opportunity, and I learned a lot during my intern. Outstanding, Pastor, I have to tell you. And by the way, I didn't use notes because. He doesn't use notes. He say he does, but he never looks down. <laughs> he never reads. So <laughs> I was just trying to meet his expectations. So the title of this message is A Repentant Heart is a Godly Heart. A Repentant Heart is a Godly Heart. And this is coming from the Psalm 51. And in Psalm 51, we're going to see where David is repenting wholeheartedly from a sin that he has committed, a grave sin. And Nathan confronts him on this sin. And this sin is basically him committing adultery or sleeping with Bathsheba. Let's hear the heart of David as we read the first verse of Psalms 1, the reading of God's holy word. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, Blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say. And your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence. And don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels, and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. You do not desire a sacrifice, or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Look with favor on Zion and help her rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will be pleased with sacrifices offered in the right spirit, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will again be sacrificed on your altar. You hear the heart of David? But let's ask ourselves, why is David repenting? Sure, yes, he committed adultery, but 
Why is he repenting so hard? So we need to look into the story. And when we look into the story, we see in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and chapter 12, a shameful sin that a godly king has committed. Shameful sin from a godly king. What happens? Well, in 2 Samuel 11, the very first verse immediately reveals something very interesting. It describes that this is the year where that has ended, where the kings are now to go out into battle. But then it also tells us that David remained home. Hmm. And he stayed in his chambers, and he, and he relaxed, and he slept. But what do we hear from that? What do we see? David was where he was not supposed to be. When you are in a place where you are not supposed to be, guess what you are in act of? You are in act of disobedience. He wasn't obedient. And what happens when you're in a place of disobedience? Sin lies there and awaits you. So now David is home. And he's going throughout his day. He's taking the evening tribe, um, um, evening strolls, excuse me. And he goes up to his roof and he looks through the window and what does he see? Bathsheba bathing. Now, I don't know, but it's, to me it's a little weird. Um, I think it's <laughs> a little interesting. Her name is Bathsheba and she's taking a bath. I, I mean, that's, that's another story. So anyway, <laughs> David sees her and lusts for her immediately. And this is what gets me. David immediately looks at his servants and asks, who is that woman? And they tell him that he, that she is the wife of Uriah. And Uriah is David's, one of David's mighty men. He's, he's not a stranger. He's not just a regular soldier. He's like a brother to David. And you know what David did? David still told that servant to go and bring her to me. And yes, David lied with her. And David slept with her, knowing that was his, his brother, his wife. And David went about his day as if nothing happened. And though you would think that he will repent there, he didn't. So Bathsheba comes to David and says to him, after a few days or so, I am pregnant. Now, very interesting enough, David still does not repent there. Why? David says to himself in his own heart, you can hear it, a king who was anointed from a child who used to be a sheep herder, he was exalted by God and even favored by men. He had a beautiful image. He would not dare let this one little sin ruin him. So he immediately says, I need to cover this up. So then David immediately tells Joab to bring Uriah to him so that he can invite him to his palace and have a feast and just talk and see how things are going out into the battle. Something, something, you know, nothing serious, nothing out of the ordinary. You know, I just want to see how things are going. And as David is talking to Uriah, he, uh, he talks to him all day, 
he lets them go. He lets them, instead of return back to the battle, he lets them go and return to his home. Now, David is hoping that Uriah goes and sleep with his wife because now his plan is to make it as if this baby that is coming is his. Yes, David went that far to try to hide and cover his sin. David right now is selfish. David right now is protecting his self-image. And Uriah being a man of integrity, a man of honor, sat outside his house and slept and said, I would not be in a cozy bed in a wonderful home and sleep with my wife when my men, my brothers and sisters, even the ark of the Lord are out in battle right now, dying and suffering. And being a veteran myself in the Navy, I understand where Uriah is coming from. Because in boot camp, anytime we would complain about running or getting up early or doing anything rigorous, you know what they remind us? You have brothers and sisters right now in the sea who are dying. Don't you dare complain. And Uriah was that man. He didn't complain, and he stayed out there. Now David is furious. He's upset. His plan is not working. Now still repenting there. You know what David does? David says, now I need to get him drunk. So he won't, you know, think anymore. He won't pay attention to what he's doing. And he can just slip up, and there you go, sleep with his wife. And you know what Uriah did? This amazes me. Uriah being drunk still remained loyal, still was a man of honor. Now David still doesn't repent there. Now David says, okay, I'm going to send Uriah back onto the battlefield, but this time I'm going to give Uriah a letter to get to Joab. And in that letter it says to send Uriah against the most strongest men on that field and then draw back your men as soon as the battle starts so that he may die. Joab being a man who follows orders, because if he doesn't, he surely will die. He does so. And yes, Uriah does. He does die. Bathsheba heard of the news and grieved and mourned. King David, a godly man, still doesn't repent there. He keeps it quiet. No one knows about it. My image is protected. And he waits for Bathsheba to finish mourning. And you know what he does? He sends his servants over there and says, bring her to me so that he can marry her. Yes, King David's lust was so strong that despite what the consequences that was going to be against all of Israel, his home, even himself and his best friend, his brother Uriah, he still did not repent there. And he marries Bathsheba. Now, David thinks everything is over. No one knows about it. He didn't tell a living soul. In the second Samuel chapter 12, the very first beginning verses, guess what we see? Nathan comes to David. And Nathan tells David a story about three people. The first person is a rich man. The second person, a poor man. And the third, a traveler. And this rich man has many flocks, a lot of lambs, a lot of sheep, you name it. But this poor man, he had but one little lamb, and he took very much so care of it. It was like a child to him. He milked it. He loved it. He even let it sleep in his own bed. And the traveler came 
and requested for a, a lamb and a sheep. And instead of the rich man giving him one of the many sheep that he had or lambs that he could have had, the rich man gives the poor man's sheep to the traveler. But he doesn't just give him the sheep. He slaughters the sheep. He cuts it up. And he gives it to that traveler. David is furious. David says, he needs to be killed now. And Nathan looks at David and says, David, that man is you. That man is you. And this is where we see David repent from such a sin. Because David realized is in the in this, in the verse of Psalms fifty one verse four that I'm gonna come back to later. It says he says against you, O God, and you alone have I sinned. And if you notice that, it's because David didn't tell a living soul, but he realized right there and then when Nathan told him that story and said it was you, that God, I sinned against you because I purposely sinned, willfully sin for my own lust while you were watching me. They may not have seen it. They may not know about it, but God, you are God of all things. You know of all things. You understand all things. You can see all things. I purposely sinned against you. And this is where we think to ourselves, "Mm -mm -mm, David, a king of God, look at you now. But you know what? God also looks at us. We are in that same position as David because we all are sinners. What parable do God have for us where God says to all of us at the end, that story is about you. And we look at that story a lot because when we read the word, surely it is sharper than a double-edged sword. It makes us feel like that. God is pointing directly towards us. Yes. And with that being said, we come to the main question. What is the main question that, God, um, that we need to point to? And that main question is, what does God desire from us? What is God saying? What is God saying? And what does God want when we sin? What does he desire from us? Well, verse 16 of Psalms 51, it says, you do not desire a sacrifice, or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. Now watch this. In verse 17, it says, The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Hmm. Verse 16 says something very interesting that I'm going to come back to later as well. It says, You do not desire a sacrifice or a burnt offering. But wait a minute. In the Old Testament, this was mandatory after you sinned. Because every sin required blood at the end. But David says that God doesn't desire this. It says that, they, that God actually desires a broken spirit you were not, because you were not rejecting a broken and repentant heart, oh God. So we think about this and we say, okay, so God desires a broken heart. Hmm. Why does God desire a broken heart? Well, let's go ahead and break this these terms down here. I saw something very interesting. In the NLT, which I read, in the NLT version, 
it uses the word repented heart in verse 17 at the end. Oh, God, a, repent, a broken and repented heart. But in the King James Version, it replaces the word repentant with the word contrite. And it says a broken spirit and a contrite heart. And when we look at the word contrite, in Hebrew, it's pronounced daka, daka. And that means to be broken, crushed, shattered to pieces, or even humbled. Now, we look at the word repent. Let's go back to the word repent. And we listen to the pronunciation of it in Hebrew, which is nakam. Nakam. And this means, and it can be defined as, to be sorry, to be moved to pity, or even to have compassion. So, Let's think about this. Why did the NLT version use the word repentant versus contrite? Now, it's not contradicting it. It's not going against it. As a matter of fact, it just told you the definition of repent. To repent is to be sorry. Why are you sorry? Because to repent means that you have a broken, crushed, shattered to pieces, or humbled heart. To repent, then, means to have a broken spirit and a sorry heart. I'm broken. I have sinned against you, oh God. I'm broken. And you know what most importantly, though? You are broken because of the consequence of sin. Now, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, it explained that Nathan told David that you surely would not die. And God has forgiven you. Now, God has forgiven you, but yet the consequence of sin will still remain. How do I know? Because Nathan told him that you are still going to lose that baby that Bathsheba had, the first baby that she had. She lost it. And many more consequences derived from that one sin. Though God forgave David, the consequences remain. And if we look back at verse 8 of Psalms 51, you know what it says? Oh, give me back my joy again. Why? Because you have broken me. Now let me rejoice. David is saying God has broken him. How did God break David? God broke David from the consequence of sin. It is eating him up. David grieved and mourned when that baby was sick. And David continued to grieve as the consequences of sin prolong. So now we understand something very important here. God breaks us with the consequences of sin. Why would such a loving God do, do a thing? We understand something here. If to repent is to have a, a broken spirit, even a sorry heart, do we understand that a repentant heart can only take place after we are broken? If we are not broken, why will we need restoration? If we are not sorry, why will we seek a change? Therefore, let's, let's think about this. God breaks you with the consequence of sin, but why? God breaks you with the consequence of sin to lead you to repentance. Why does God break you in order to lead to repentance? Why would you repent if nothing is wrong? The consequences are only there to lead you 
to repent, to have a broken heart. This is why God desires your broken heart so that restoration can take place. So now that we see this equation, a broken spirit plus a sorry heart equals a need for restoration. You're broken. God has broken you through the consequence of sin. And yes, you are sorry. Yes, you are broken. But guess what? Now you know that you have need of a restoration. Now, let's think about this for a second. We know that in order to lead to, in order to uh, actually want to repent, you have to be broken first. We understand this, right? We understand that repentance is you being broken. Your heart is shattered to pieces. It's being sorry, right? And now we need that. Now we know we have a need for restoration. We need God to restore us, to mend our hearts, to make us whole again. But now how? How? How do we repent? Because remember, David said, actually in verse 5, that I came out the womb a sinner. God, I cannot do this alone. Surely I repent. Surely I am sorry. Surely I am in need of restoration. But God, I surely can do this again. And again, and again, that wasn't the only sin that David did. God, what is the answer to this? How can I truly repent with my broken heart? How can I receive restoration? So therefore, we see repentance according to David in Psalms 51. And we see a three-step process. And the first step process that we see in Psalms 51 that David showed us is, number one, recognizing God's unfailing love. Number two, you're going to see David request to be washed and purified, cleansed. He believed that God was the only one that could wash away his sins. What can wash away our sins? Not the blood, the blood of Christ. And thirdly, it's the process of restoration. So let's focus, let's focus on the first one, unfailing love. Where do we see David come to God as a God who has unfailing love? Unfailing love. What the first verse says is uh, in the first verse, in the first sentence, it says, have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. What does this mean? So now David, right here and right then, David understands that in first step of repentance of a broken heart is to boldly come to God. A loving God who I purposely sinned against, who knows all of my doings, I can still come to him because the first initiative in my heart is to run away from God. David really messed up here. But look how bold David was. Look how much faith that he had that the first step to repenting is to come to God because God's love is unfailing. God's love is endless and God is there regardless of the sin. So the second process that we see now is that David asks God to wash him and purify him from his sins. And we see these in the following verses. In the second sentence of the first verse, it says, Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Verse 2 says, Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. And verse 7 says, Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. 
Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Verse 9, don't keep me looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. David says, God, I can come to you because your love is unfailing. Now, God, when I do come to you, I can be washed. I can be made clean. I can feel anew again, as he kept saying, so that I may rejoice and praise you. Now, watch this. What I love about this in the third process is the process of restoration. God restores the broken. This is the third process. And I love this because a lot of times when we repent, we always stop at the second process. We definitely come to God. We ask for forgiveness. And surely we ask God to wash us and make us clean, make us whole again. But then right after that, that was it. You know what David, you know what David does? David comes to God. It says to God in these following verses, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. In verse 11, he says, Do not banish me from your presence, and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. In verse 12, he says, Restore me the joy of your salvation, and make me willing to obey you. Listen to these words. Renew. He says, Renew with me. What? A loyal spirit. What did he say? Create. Creating me what? A clean heart. What does he say about the Holy Spirit and about the presence of God? Do not take that away from me. Do not take me away from the presence of God. And then he says, restore me, God. And then you hear the words, make me. David understood something very important. That the only, to be, the only way that we can be restored, truly restored, is only by the power of God. He said, I need your Holy Spirit to help me. I need you, God. Do not take me away from your presence when I sin. Because only you can restore me to never sin again. So what is our conclusion here? After we sin, we are broken from the consequences thereof. And God breaks us with the consequences so that we be led to repent. And then after repenting, we become restored by the power of God. Restoration occurs. So now we have to ask ourselves this. Now that I am able to be restored by a holy and righteous God, even after I sin, what, is, what can I really expect from true repentance? Because now we know what repentance is. Now we understand that repentance is truly a broken heart and is a willingness to receive restoration and change. Verse 19 says this, Then you will be pleased with sacrifices offered in the right spirit, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will again be sacrificed on your altar. Now, so this is coming back from the verse six, uh, 16, where he says, God, a sacrifice you do not, you do not desire. And a burnt offering you do not desire. You desire a broken heart because you desire repentance from us. Now, here's the key. He says, now I can do this. Now I can sacrifice unto you, God. Now I can give burnt offerings unto you. And why? The key word in that verse is because I can offer this to you in the right spirit. The right spirit. So let's look at this. I'm broken. It leads me to repentance. 
And when I led to repentance, I can receive restoration by the grace of God. And when I have restoration, I have the Holy Spirit, which is the right spirit, to bless me and to even empower me to overcome sin. And God gives us the right spirit, and he says, now you can sacrifice unto me. Now, what does that look like for us, though? Because in the Old Testament, you had to sacrifice bulls and lambs and so on. But now that Christ Jesus died for us, and now that his blood is surely is the only way that we can be reconciled from sin, what does that mean for us? You know what God is saying? God is saying that surely you can tithe. Surely you can come to church. Surely you can do these things for me. Surely you can worship me and praise me. But when we sin, right, when we are broken, right, and once we are restored, you do it with a right spirit, the right spirit. So now we got to ask, God, why break us? What is the true reason for our brokenness? And God reveals something to me. It seems unfair, really, that God would break us, even though it leads to repentance and restoration, right? It seems like even though, you know, I said, God, you're a loving God. Why break me in the first place? Why not just correct me? I understand that repentance is important and restoration is important. So what is the reason? In Hebrew chapter 12, verses 5 through 10, God, re- God reminded me of something. In verse 5, it says, And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline, and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who is never disciplined by his father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? And last verse, for our earthly father disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew, knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. And so this leads to us understanding God's ultimate plan. And watch this. We understand that we are broken from sin and the consequences thereof. And we know that it's only so that we can be led to repentance. And once we repent, that through Christ, we are able to be restored, have restoration. And lastly, guess what? Through the restoration of Christ, through the power of God, what did it say? Through Christ, we become a new creature. We are able to be changed. God disciplines his children so that we may be adopted through Christ and able to call God Abba, which means my father, Brokenness is important. Repentance is important. So that the restoration of God, God said, I will do it. Not your works, but mine. Restoration is important. So that change may take place. Guess what happens? We become like Christ. We become like Jesus. Therefore, I encourage you all. According to Matthew 6, verse 6, which states, 
But when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. I love this scripture because this is Jesus telling us to come to him personally, right? Now, there's something very interesting. I'm going to go back to Psalms 51 verse 4. And this is where I was saying, against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight, David said. Remember, he said this to God, not because he didn't sin against everyone else. That's a lie. He sinned against all of Israel. It was, the consequences was very rough. So what is David saying? He's saying, against you and you alone I sinned, God, because I sinned purposely in your sight. So look at Matthew 6, verse 6. And let's compare Psalm 51, verse 4. And you know what it's telling us? It's telling us to come to God personally as we sinned personally. We didn't show everybody our, our sins. We didn't reveal that to everybody. David didn't reveal nothing to God. But he knew that God saw it. And so God is saying the same for even your restoration, even the, the, the repentance of your heart. Come to me privately. And guess what we see? A private sin equals a private repentance. This is between you and God, no one else. And just as God will definitely be there with you and never leave nor forsaken you, has unfailing love and is there with you even when you sin privately, God is there with you when you are repenting privately. And FYI, this is not business. This is truly personal. This is your relationship. And so last but not least, I say, as we all have sinned like David, we all have sinned like David. So now that's what? Let's repent like David in Jesus' name. God bless you all. Thank you, James. I appreciate that, man. It's a good word. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's tough when we think about some of those difficult days for people in, you know, the scriptures. Man, I don't want to think about when we mess up and stuff like that. But, you know, there's so many times where we do things that are wrong and we try and cover it like David. And we think nobody knows and we just sit on it. But just think about what would have happened to David had Nathan never confronted him. Nathan's a prophet, just you know, he's just like sort of a guy, and Nathan had no idea, but God kind of revealed it to him. Would you like that? Would you like God to send somebody who knows your business? <laughs> Be like, hey, I know something about you that nobody else knows because God told me what you did. And as a kid, that terrified me. I was like, God, please do not send somebody to tell somebody what I did, you know? Like, that just sounds absolutely awful. Please don't do that. Um, but again, James, it's a good word. God didn't send Nathan just to make David feel terrible, but to help David. Because if David had never dealt with that one, like that becomes his story. Right? In our heads, we start to tell ourselves that we are the worst thing we've done. Right? That defines us. That becomes who we are. Yeah, everybody else can say, you're great, you're awesome, I don't care what you did. And you, but inside, you, you got the dialogue going, and you know, oh, they don't know. They don't know. And that becomes your story about yourself. I just find that 
these psalms are always so interesting because it's, it's the psalm that David wrote on the day that Nathan confronted him about this. And in that moment, what could have been an absolutely disastrous day for David, he says, you know what, I'm going to take, God, all right, I'm just going to go to you. I'm going to come to you. God, this is, I, I, I just think it's, it's so encouraging for us that no matter what, Maybe there's something that people don't know about you and you're holding it in and you know exactly what it is or maybe a bunch of things that are just in your head. And God would just say to you, hey, listen to David's words. Look at what he did in that day. He came to me. And you know what? I didn't smush him. I didn't tell him he was an absolute waste of a human and how dare he and he should have known better and just condemnation and, you know, pile it on. Instead, I said, David, you know, I, I, I see you. I know what you did, and I, I still love you. It doesn't make it right. Listen, David had, there was damage done. David had to do all sorts of things. I mean, we don't get, we don't get to say, well, I only sinned against God, and it doesn't matter. No, we, there are consequences. we got to deal with that stuff. But first, the first place we got to go is to get right with God. So I just want to encourage you. Whatever's going on in your heart, whatever, we're going to sing that song again. I think, oh, come to the altar. I think it's just right where you are. We're going to sit just for a moment. Just let's do business. God, I'm going to come right now. If there's anything in your heart, listen, this is confession time. You and God, right? Take a moment and say, God, I'm going to lay it down because I don't want this to be my story anymore. God, I want to come to you and say, I can find grace and mercy. I read this morning in Psalms, it said, God, in your anger, please remember your mercy. Because I, I deserve your anger, but please remember your mercy. It's not that God forgets, but it's just us saying, God, I know I deserve this, but I'm not going to let that keep me from coming to you. So let's just take a, a moment. We'll sing that, and then we'll close our service. So uh, would, you, would you lead us?